Luke chapter 9, 10 through 17. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done, and he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. And he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, as we look to this passage, as we look to your word, we ask that your spirit might open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts, that we may hear, see, and believe. Uh, We ask that we might be uh, challenged and conformed to the image of Christ. We pray. Amen. So I recognize that the past few weeks I've given some slightly long passages to be read, so I I pared it down. But I want to read a little bit what happened right before this very famous feeding of the 5,000. Right before it, in Luke chapter 9, it says, Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was going on, and he was perplexed, because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead, others that Elijah had appeared, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is this that I hear such things about? And he tried to see him. First of all, if I were Jesus, after my cousin encountered what he encountered through Herod, I wouldn't be necessarily too excited to go visit Herod, would you? But I thought it was interesting that Herod was hearing the buzz. There was a scene being made. So we checked around. What's going on? Who is this person? Who's making waves out in the countryside? Well, it might be John the Baptist back. Well, I kind of took care of that one myself. Because it could be, it could be Elijah. Well, the scriptures did kind of say that Elijah kind of never faced death, and maybe he could return. Or maybe it's one of the prophets from long ago. Maybe it was Moses coming back. Well, eight days after this incident... Jesus is going to take a couple of his friends up on a mountain where they are going to have an encounter with Moses and Elijah. But that's not today. And that's not who Jesus was. But it's interesting that that's who the people, that's what the rumor mills were spreading about this person. This person of interest to Herod. So then we have the story about the feeding of the 5,000 that was just read to you. And right after that, Luke puts in this part. Once Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, and he asked them, 
Who do the crowds say I am? It's the same question that Herod asked. Who is this person? Who do the, who do the crowds think he is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets long ago has come back to life. And then Jesus followed it up. But what about you? Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. I just think it's interesting that, that there's these scenes that we know of in the, that were covered in the other synoptics. Uh, uh, the, 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 all four Gospels have the feeding of the 5,000. And there's different details that come out in different ones, but we're going to just stick with Luke. And uh, these aren't just random tales. Oh, yeah, remember that story? Put, let's put that in now. They're put in in a sequence according to what Luke was trying to convey to his, to his readers. Now, we know that Luke wrote this to a specific reader, a, probably a Roman or a Greek, and he, he addressed it to him, but he also knew that this was going to be read by others. So why did he take Herod's questioning? Who's this person out there? John the Baptist, Elijah, the prophets? Oh, let me meet with him. And then followed up with Jesus asking his disciples, who do the crowd say I am? And it's the same answer. Why? What is the significance? And what is the significance about Jesus feeding the masses tucked in between. This feeding of the masses provides the disciples and Luke's readers, including us, a crucial clue into understanding the true answer to the identity of Jesus. You see, framed out by the possibilities of who Jesus was, we could see um, it could be one of the prophets of old coming back. It could be a, a new Moses. And what did Moses do? He was the one who led them out of captivity. And where are the people of Israel right now? They're either dispersed or under Roman captivity. They had occupiers. They were oppressed. And they were longing for the day of the Lord to come down. They were longing for the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ to be sent by God to deliver the people out of captivity and back into the promised land of blessing. That was the longing. And, and multiple groups existed expecting that to happen for multiple paths in multiple ways. You see, you had the Essenes. They were the mystics. They were the ones that were out. Uh, they were the ones who were kind of in charge of the, if you've ever heard of the scrolls found at Qumran, we have that collection because of the Essenes. They were the hermits. They were out in the wilderness hiding away and just trying to be spiritual and expecting God to just come back through spiritual means. Then you had the, the Pharisees. The Pharisees recognized, you know what the problem with today is? Too much sin. We need to become a holy people, an obedient people. So we need to know the law perfectly and we need to live it out perfectly. And if you're not going to do that, you need to get out. That was the Pharisees' way. Then there was the zealots. You've ever heard that? Remember Peter? He was a zealot. And we know the word zealot. They're, 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 they're excited. They're all in. They're fully committed, even to the point of being willing to be violent. The zealots were ready to raise up an army. Sure, we're not as trained as the Roman soldiers. Sure, we're not as equipped. But with God with us, we can be David to take on Goliath. So find your swords. Gather the men. Let us take on the mighty Roman Empire. God will be with us. So was Jesus a zealot? 
those weren't his ways. Was Jesus a Pharisee? <laughs> Clearly not. Was Jesus an Essene? Did he just hide off like a monk off into the wilderness? Mm -hmm. Jesus was none of them. And yet there was a stir. There was a commotion. Yet he traveled from town to town, region to region, proclaiming, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent because God's kingdom is here. He was stirring and stoking the fires to expect that God's deliverance was about to break forth and that he was going to be a part of it and maybe even leading it. So why would they not think that it was a new Moses? Why would they not think that the, that the resurrection occurred and Moses was back, now called Jesus? You see, when we see the story that Luke separated these two sets of questions with, we get echoes. We get echoes of the Old Testament. We get echoes of people from the past. We get echoes of Moses and manna, right? Because there was a group of people that were out in the wilderness. That could trigger a memory. They were out in the wilderness with nothing to eat. And so he held the bread up to heaven, gave thanks, and then the bounty just seemed to keep coming. Just like the manna rained down from heaven. One difference is, though, that he's not just a new Moses. He's a greater than Moses. Because with manna, you could only keep a day's portion. You couldn't store it up. But with Jesus, he fed them, and there were... Twelve baskets, one for each disciple, left over. Everybody ate and was satisfied and took home a little gift bag. Wonderful. That's one echo. Another echo was the new Elijah. Now, this is maybe a little bit of a stretch, but so Elijah, if you know in the story in Kings, he, he, the Lord kind of sent a chariot down and picked him up. And he never faced death. And Elijah already passed his mantle, his uh, his, his office to Elisha. So Elisha was already the new Elijah. And one time, Elisha was given the task of feeding a hundred men, a hundred warriors. And he said, but his, his, his workers, his people with him said, we only have 20 loaves. That's not enough to feed this, this small army. Guess what Elijah told him? Oh, feed him. The Lord will take care of it. And so they fed. And you know what? Everybody was filled and was satisfied. And guess what? There was bread left over. You can find that at the end of 2 Kings chapter 4. So Jesus, could he be a new coming of Elijah? A new coming of Elisha? Could he be the one who instructs his people to go feed the masses and trust that the Lord will provide? I think that echo comes forth. Then there's the third echo. Isaiah 25. Let me read it for you. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples. A banquet of aged wine. The best meats and the finest wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples. The sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. 
The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from the earth. The Lord has spoken in the day that they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. This was the messianic feast. This was the long-awaited banquet of when God himself made all things right and redeemed his people again and set them to be free and set them to be his people and set them in the land with milk and honey flowing. But it's more than just one feast. And it's more than just a time of peace. Even death itself is swallowed up by the work of the Lord. So this does have a a new dawn, a new age, a reflection of what they might call in the Old Testament the coming day of the Lord. The very thing that Jesus would say, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, is a reflection to this banquet. Now, this picnic had some fish. And this picnic had some barley bread, and they ate their fill of it, and they were happy, and they were good. This, they were, the, he didn't do the wine this time. Probably could have, but he didn't. There weren't the fruits and the, and, and, and the cheeses and, and the multitude of meats and everything to try. But do you think that the hungry masses that were probably, they, I don't think they were just surprised when the, when the disciples said to Jesus, you know, we should probably send them out to the towns right? Do you think the 5,000 people were like, oh yes, we would probably want to eat later. Thank you for reminding us. I know in this room right here, there's probably a good handful of you that get a little bit hangry towards the end of service. And if you don't know what hangry is, then you're not one of them. But if you do get a little hangry, you know what it's like to start thinking, how long is the service going to last? But remember, these people were following Jesus. He actually went across to try to get a little quiet time, and the crowds met him out in the wilderness. They are so excited to be with and around Jesus. They sought him out, and he welcomed them, and he said, have them sit, have them recline. And remember, these dinners that Jesus has with people, they all recline in the, in the custom of the day. So he had them sit and recline. Let's get ready for dinner. Why? We have five loaves and two fishes. And Jesus looked at his 12 and said, you feed them. This reminds me of the Messianic feast. Because clearly, if someone is going to have a meal here today, it's because God provides. Not because we planned ahead. Not because we were organized. Not because we have a great team for logistics. Not because we have, uh, they had the deacons already set up to get all the tables set up and ready to go, right? They just had the disciples taking the bread and the fish that were broken and given thanks. And just, they kept delivering. And then they kept delivering. And they kept delivering and delivering and delivering. And then at one point, I'm sure Jesus said, gentlemen, just go, go take a moment and eat yourself. Get a bite. Have some. And then he probably said, okay, stop eating. you got to go collect. Get the baskets. Twelve full baskets of leftovers. Sounds like a feast. 
Sounds like a foretaste. Sounds like one of those times where you could taste and see that the Lord is good. I think these are the reasons why Luke put this story in between these two sets of identity questions about Jesus. Who is he? Is he a new Moses? Yes, but better. Is he a new Elijah? Yes, but greater. Is he John the Baptist? No, but he who came before diminished and Jesus becomes greater. This week was an interesting week and a fun week in the life of our church. Last Sunday, we ate some chili. So a lot of chili. 13 pots of chili. How many of you continued to eat chili throughout the week? I still have some that I portioned up into nice little lunches for later. My wife said, I went with red chili, and then I had white chili, and then I had red chili, and then I had white chili. I said, I understand. I'll make something new this weekend for next week's lunches. She's chilled out. But what did we do? We gathered in the name of Jesus. We gathered with the provision of what God brought in through your willingness to come and participate. And we didn't just... We didn't just come and eat, though. It was more. We had community. There was hospitality. There was welcome. There was laughter. There were stories. There were new times to connect with people. I was prepared to say all this, and I'm going to tell you, even a a couple times this morning, a couple people pulled me off to the side and said, last week was really good. Last week was meaningful to me and to my family. And it was for my family. My wife left that, and it was probably her last week being here before the baby comes. Something about being out of state, and then, you know, there's rules. But, um, yeah, it was good, wasn't it? And then let me tell you, if you weren't here Friday night, we had a youth event that was eighth grade and under, Eighth grade to, I don't know, there's there's even babies around. There 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 was kids, 36 of them to be exact. 36 children and over 20 adults helping out. I'm gonna be honest, I'm a veteran of youth work. I'm a veteran of children's programs and so forth. I had no idea what I was getting into. Friday, I waited at home until my kids got done. Had to wait a little bit because my one daughter has play practice or something on Friday, and I had to pick her up. And so we, we got going, and we drove west, straight into the sun. I now know why I don't drive to work in the afternoon, because I have to drive straight into the sun for about an hour and a half. And we got here right at 6 o'clock, maybe 6.04, and I come upstairs to a welcome table, to kids drawing, to kids doing crosswords, to kids writing thank you notes, to snacks being around, to, to go back into the, into the further back room, the story keeper room. And there was like the coolest little air hockey table you will ever see. One of those long little kid tables with foam bumpers taped to the edges and little plastic pumpkins with a smaller plastic pumpkin as the puck. Who's creative like that? I will tell you, not me. I was amazed. And then, and then there was adults, and Bob's taking pictures. You'll see some of those later. It was beautiful. It was exciting. It was chaos. It was so well organized. 
To me, it was a little picture. It was a little taste of the feast that's coming. Later on that night, we had a meal. We had a meal with a beautiful, like, roast squash and shallot pasta with dino nuggets. <laughs> I'm telling you, you can it, people. You know how to, like, pull out the stops. I mean, we were serving everything from a nice high-end pasta to Domino's pizza, and there were little chips and dips and, 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 and crudite out on the tables, and, and we had these little munchkins sitting like humans, eating a meal together and having things. We ended up coming back up to this room and closing with a song together, parents and all. It was a beautiful, beautiful night. These two events in one week were a glimpse of what the world around us is longing for. And I mean that. You can read the articles. Just get on your computer later and just say, uh, Google loneliness, American loneliness. You will have countless articles and books being written about how and why we are in the most interconnected age of human history, and yet we are lonelier than ever. We are so lonely that men over 40 are having an epidemic of physiological, physical ailments. Its root cause is built into loneliness. We have men over 40 that don't know how to make friends anymore. This is why on the, I think it's the 21st coming up. Again, don't trust me for dates, you know that now. But on the third Tuesday of this month, that's why we get together as all men of all ages, from teenage on up, to come out and be together. Why? Because we need it, and it is a picture, it is a taste, it is a reality check to a world that is hungry and longing for community, longing for hospitality, longing to belong somewhere, to be seen to be understood, to be accepted. <laughs> These two events that we had this week were tastes of that. Tim Chester wrote, when your church family gathers together as a group of needy people and shares food with Jesus at the center, with Jesus as the provider, you glimpse God's coming world right here and right now. If you look historically at the marks of what constitutes a church over versus just a, a group of Christians, a church is formed and it has um, the preaching of the word, it has the offering and, and, and observance of the sacraments, it has a sense of discipline where we all encourage each other and hold each other to do well and to do better. And in the EPC, we have a, a fourth identity marker of a church, and it's right fellowship. Now, that's a very churchy way to say gathering together and loving one another. It sounds so churchy when you say fellowship. I don't even know who uses the word fellowship anymore outside of the church, right? But it's crucial that we do fellowship. Sacramentally speaking, I'm as, I think it's as important what we do out there in the coffee hour, almost as important as what we do when we come to the table because it's all tied together. Dining together isn't just a meal. It isn't just fuel. For those of you who think food is merely fuel, oh no, it's a celebration. It's an identity. It's a, it's a gathering. It's a time where God's coming world can break through right now and give us a taste of what's to come. 
Tim Chester also wrote, we need a theology of leftovers. I don't even know what that means. That sounds really great, though. We need a theology of leftovers. I live in the world of leftovers because I was raised by a mom who taught me you never want to run out of food, right? How many of you were raised by a mom who ne- or a dad who, ne- like, the last, the worst thing we could possibly do is run out? So I, I'm, I'm called Overkill Ken in my family. It's overcook because I want to make sure that we have enough, we have plenty, we have our fill, and we can send some home so they can have another taste and remember how good it was to be together. Christians eat for more than merely health and fuel. Jesus instructed his disciples to feed the people. That stood out to me. I hope it stood out to you when you heard that text. They were out in the wilderness, an unplanned, impromptu gathering, where Jesus was trying to evade them, actually, but they found him. And so he welcomed them. It says it. He welcomed them. He gathered them. And then he looked at his 12. He looked at his church and he said, you go feed them. But he knew they could not. But he knew that he could. He wanted them to serve the people and believe that he was enough. I think that's a lesson for us from this text. Sometimes it's easy for us to think, well, we're a little church. What do we have to offer? We don't have all the programs. We don't have all the staffings that we used to have. We don't have, some are still hung up on, we don't have a parking lot. The bank does. The curbs are good. But we recognize there are limitations to what God can ask of us, right? Are there? Maybe. Jesus is calling us to feed his people. What do we have? What can we offer? Do we have enough? Are we enough to do what God has asked us to do? No, is the answer. We are not enough, but he is is. And the key for the disciples wasn't to be enough or to have the resources or to have the vision or to have the, 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 the knowledge of how it was going to work itself out. He just asked them to take the next step forward. Go feed them. Shouldn't we send them out to the countryside? Nope, you feed them. I'm going to be honest, we've only got a lunch pail. We got one Uber takeout order. That's it. I think they said that to not say, look, Jesus, this is what we do have. I think they were presenting it like, let's go back to our plan, Jesus, because this is what we have. We don't have enough. So what was the next command? Just go get them in groups of 50. I kept them busy for a little while, 5,000 people into groups of 50. Have to walk out, make sure. Have you ever tried to gather people and get them into groups? Probably took a little while. Giving Jesus time to give a blessing. 
and start passing it out. And they keep coming back and they keep coming back and they keep coming back. I want to be one of those people and I want you, I want us to be those people who we may have no clue how it's going to work out. We may have no clue how we are going to be enough for what God is calling us to be. But we just go and do the next thing that we're asked. All right, let's get him in the fifth. Let's, all right, you heard it. Let's go, guys. Let's get him in the fifties. May we be those people. May we recognize, of course, we're not enough. Of course, we don't have the plan. But Jesus does, and Jesus is enough. Jesus is greater than the Moses. Jesus is greater than Elijah. Jesus is greater than Elisha. Jesus is greater than John the Baptist, his cousin. And he is live, and he is well. On this mountainside, Jesus will prepare a feast for the rich foods for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine and the best of meats. On that mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers the nations. He will swallow up death forever. Jesus will wipe away the tears from all faces, and he will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken In that day, we will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Friends, I'm here to give you encouragement today. We are not enough, but he is. Lord, help us to hear your your call. Help us to hear what that next step is for us. Help us to not try to be in control of every little thing. But Lord, let us celebrate. Let us celebrate what you are doing in our midst. Let us cry out, you are the one who saved us. You are the one who's present. You are the one who's real. Let us take that good news to those who need it so much. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.